Let's turn over to the book of Philippians. And for those of you that this is your first service, I've been talking about Paul's secrets of happiness. How many of you, this will be your first service that you've made during this session? Could I see your hands? Well, praise God, quite a bit. You know, if we had everybody who's been here back here, we'd have a bunch of people. Amen. But we have a lot of new people, a lot of turnover every service. Real quickly, let me just say that I was using Paul as an example because when he went to Philippi, the group that this book of Philippians was written to, he was beaten and put in stocks. And at midnight, he started worshiping and praising God. And you know, some people don't associate Paul with a really happy person because he talked about he travailed in, in uh, pains, you know, until Christ was formed in people. And sometimes people hear those things and they think that a happy person is a person that has no cares about them. There's no problems. There's no pressures in their life. That's a total misunderstanding of what true happiness is. I tell you, you can rejoice in the Lord, even though around you, everything may be going bad. Paul, I believe, is a great example of a person that was able to overcome their adversity and operate in joy and happiness with the Lord. And so I've been taking the book of Philippians and just going through and showing some of the things that he wrote to these people in Philippi and using these things to show why he was able to rejoice in the midst of prison and praise God in the midst of a bad situation. And I tell you, I think that this has really been good. If you've missed any of this teaching, I'd encourage you to get it. Eventually, I'll probably put out a new series on this uh, entitled something like Paul's Secret to Happiness. And I believe it'll be a blessing to you. So we've already covered seven things in Philippians chapter one and chapter two. I hadn't got time to go back through that, but it would really benefit you to be able to get that. So let's go into Philippians chapter three. And I want to talk about the eighth thing. I've got a total of 20 things from the book of Philippians that we're talking about, things that were secrets or keys to Paul's happiness and how he was able to rejoice. So in Philippians chapter three, in verse one, it says, finally, my brethren, you know, he said, finally, my brethren and wrote two more chapters. (laughs) He was a preacher. Amen. This is my last point. And then you preach for another 30 minutes. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. You know, I could preach on every one of these verses. It's really hard for me to just read these and go on. But let me just mention that, you know what, there's things that sometimes you want to bring up something new and always be preaching something new. And if you will have somebody come through with some brand new doctrine that nobody's ever heard before, he'll draw a crowd around him. People are just always hungry for something new. But just like Paul is saying right here, you know what? You need to hear the same things. You need to get hold of the foundational truths. I don't know anybody who is languishing because they don't have a revelation of the book of Revelation and end times. You know what? You languish because you don't understand what salvation is about. And you don't understand things like God's love for you and just real simple things. We need to constantly be hearing all of the foundational, simple truths of the gospel. And uh, this is what Paul is saying. It's necessary for you to be able to hear these things. And then in verse two, he says, beware of dogs. This is a scripture that many of you have written on your fence. Amen. (laughs) You didn't know that you had scripture on your fence. But it says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision for we are the circumcision. You know, this loses something on most of us, but Paul was a preacher of grace 
And Paul constantly was emphasizing that it's not all your religious circumstances and religious observances. And in the Jewish faith, circumcision was the main dominant thing that you had to do. They were called the circumcision. They called themselves by that name. And when he says, uh, beware of the concision, you know what that is? That is actually a slam on the legalistic Jews. And this word concision means mutilation. The word circumcision, it was referring, of course, to the right uh, that man had in the, Jewish, uh, in the Jewish covenant. But when he says, beware of the circumcision, he says, beware of those who just mutilate themselves because we're the true circumcision of Christ. Over in Colossians, it talked about that there is a circumcision made without hands in your heart, cutting away the flesh and all of the things of the flesh. Keep your finger right here and just turn over to Romans chapter two real quickly. I'll come right back to Philippians. But in Romans chapter two, in verse 28, it says, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of man, but of God. Did you know every person who's been born again is now a true Jew? You've been circumcised in your heart. This does not negate the fact that the nation of Israel has a place in end time prophecies and that God is still dealing with them. I'm not one of these that's a replacement theology type of people and believe that the Jews have no part in the things of God. But I am one of those who I am not a messianic Jew. Amen. I'm a believer And the church has superseded the nation of Israel as far as the people of God. The Jews still have a place. They still have promises. If you were to draft me and get me to try and fight against the Jews, I'd defect in a heartbeat. Amen. If you bless the Jews, you're blessed. If you curse them, you're cursed. I am pro-Israel because they still have a place in the things of God. But I am more Jew than any Jew that you've ever seen. Because I've accepted the Messiah and I've had my heart circumcised and I am the true Jew. And it amazes me, Christians that are wanting to go back into the things of Judaism that we were delivered from. It's legalistic. You don't need to go there. You don't need to go back to your prayer shawl and count the 39 tassels and go into all of this stuff. It's not necessary. Jesus is so much better than any of the symbolism of the Old Testament. Amen. There's a lot I could say about that, but I'm. But you know, everything in the Old Testament was a type and a shadow and it's great. You need types and shadows, but once you get the reality, why are you hugging the shadow? You know, imagine right now that this pulpit is like a building, a big, tall building. And you're standing over on that side and I'm over here and you can't see me. If you couldn't see me, then my shadow would be important because it could tell you whether I'm standing still, whether I'm moving towards you, whether I'm moving away from you, whether I've got a club in my hand, it could tell you some things about me. And so if you couldn't see me, my shadow would give you a lot of information. And if you couldn't see me, then you might have to look at that shadow and it would be very important to you. But once I walk around the corner and I'm in full view, something would be wrong with you if you ran up and hugged my shadow. 
The shadow's only of value if the person isn't visible. Once I'm visible, talk to me, hug me, shake my hand. Don't talk to my shadow. We now have the reality in Christ and why people want to go back to the Jewish stuff and get into all of this when those things were pictures of what the New Testament reality of Jesus is. I I think I've preached that better than you listened. (laughs) And I know that there's some of you don't understand what I'm saying. You think I'm against Messianic Jews. I'm not. I'm just saying that this is what God delivered us from. The law was a a noose around our neck. The Old Testament law was to kill and to beat us down, not to set you free. And it had a purpose. There was a time that we needed to be restrained and brought under and shown our sin so that we would be hemmed up and cry out to God for mercy. But now that mercy has come, we shouldn't live under that bondage anymore. We shouldn't live under these restrictions. We shouldn't be under the law. Those are some great statements right there. And all of this, if I had time, you could preach on this. And this is what Paul is talking about. Beware of those who are just dealing with circumcision in the flesh and they haven't had their heart circumcised. They haven't truly been born again. They're just mutilating their bodies. This was very offensive to the Jews of Jesus' day. And you know what? It's offensive to some Christians today that I would say these things, but it's still true. It's true. And it'd help you if you'd receive it. So it says, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So much of what's going on in the body of Christ is all about flesh. It's all outward. It's all exterior. You got to get people to cut their hair a certain length and wear their dress a certain length and put on makeup or take it off or do this. And we've got all of these rituals and it's all about the flesh. Paul right here, this is the, this is what I consider the eighth thing that I'm pointing out out of the book of uh, Philippians, the eighth thing that kept him operating in joy and rejoicing is the fact that he was not external. He worshiped God in spirit and in truth, and it wasn't about the flesh. He had no confidence in the flesh. He wasn't relating to God based on his performance or on his goodness and on rituals and all of these kind of things that people love to get into today. He was worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Jesus said this in John chapter four, verse 24, he says, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. It's not the best way. It's not a preferred way. It's the only way that you are ever going to really contact God is when you get into the spirit and into truth and not into all of the symbolism and into all of the rituals and all of these kind of things. There's people that just love churches with stained glass windows. I think stained glass windows are pretty, but there's no virtue in it. God doesn't move better in the church with stained glass windows, but there's a lot of people that think he does because they are into the flesh and it's all about all of these external things. There's some people that believe you got to have your collar turned around backwards to really speak for God and do things like this. They believe that you got to wear a robe. You got to have the choir wearing things. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But if you have to have those things, if you are just into the external, you're missing the true things of God. Paul is talking about that we are those that worship God in spirit and in truth. And in verse uh, five, four, 
It says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might boast in the flesh, I more. In other words, Paul is saying he, he just rejected all of these external things and all of our natural physical accomplishments and all that you can do. And he says, I'm not doing this because I haven't got accomplishments. I'm not saying this because I'm totally, uh, you know, untalented and don't have any ability. And so that's the reason I relate to God in spirit. Paul goes and starts talking about that. If you just want to boast in the flesh, he had done as much. He had as many good works, as much holiness as anybody. Paul occupied the high ground. Paul was holier than all of his critics. You know, I preach the grace of God a lot. And I get a lot of flack and people saying, you're encouraging people to go live in sin. You're just giving them a license to sin. And I tell them, man, people are sinning pretty good without a license. Amen. (laughs) It's not me giving them a license for sin. And I tell them that you can't say this to me because I live a holier life than most of you have ever thought about living. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying that you can't accuse me of preaching grace so that I can go out and live in sin. I'm 63. I'm headed towards 64. I've never taken a drink of liquor in all of my life. I've never smoked a cigarette in all of my life. I've never committed adultery. I've never done all of these things that people talk about. I am living a holy life. I spend more time studying the word, praying than most people do. You cannot say that grace has caused me to go live in sin. And basically this is what Paul is saying. He says he doesn't have any confidence in the flesh, but not because he was living an unholy life. He was living a holy life and he begins to give some of his qualifications right here. He says in verse five, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law, a Pharisee. You know, that may not mean much to you, but to be a Pharisee in Jesus day, you were one holy dude. You had to pay tithes on mint, anise, and cumin, the spices. You never, ever, ever failed to pay your tithes. You prayed two or three times a day and hired people to go around with the trumpet in front of you and blow the trumpet so that when you prayed, everybody could see that you were praying. You prayed on the street corner. They wore special clothes. They had these things called phylacteries that they tied around their head and they kept scripture inside of this little thing and dangled it in front of their eyes based on Deuteronomy chapter six, where it says this law shall not depart from your eyes, but you have to meditate in it. So they kept little pieces of scripture dangled in front of their eyes. They were holy, holy, holy. And they did all of these things. When he says that I was a Pharisee, this is quite a statement about what he had done. You had to memorize the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You had to memorize them to be a Pharisee. I mean, Pharisees were holy, holy, holy people. So this is what he's referring to. He says, touching the law, he was blameless, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. And so here's one of the secrets of Paul that made him live a happy, joyful, fulfilled life. And that is that he didn't put any confidence in his flesh. He didn't trust in himself. It wasn't about how good he was. And you know, many people miss the point that I'm making right here, but this is so important. If you are living holy 
putting confidence in yourself and trusting that because you have lived holy, therefore God owes it to you. God is going to move in your life. God is going to answer your prayers because you fasted and prayed or whatever. I can guarantee you, you are going to be one frustrated, defeated, fail person. Because you know what? You're going to fail. You can't live holy. You can live holier than somebody next to you. You can start comparing yourself. But if you put yourself up against God's standard, which is Jesus, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And your conscience will always condemn you. There are some of you thinking that you are going to live so holy that God's got to use you. It's never going to happen. God's never had anybody qualified working for him yet. And you aren't going to be the first. You aren't going to be qualified. And if you try and do that, this is why Christians burn out. Because they make a commitment, God, I'm going to do all of these things. I'm going to be such a holy person. And you may have good intentions, but I can guarantee you, you will fail. And then you will come under guilt and condemnation. And you won't doubt that God exists or that God has power. You'll just start doubting that he's going to release his power on your behalf because you don't deserve it. And after a while, you just give up. You know that you'll never make it. And this is why so many people cycle outside of the church. They start, but then they lose their interest and they quit. Is because they really are trying in their flesh to please God. They're trying to do everything right. And you can't do it. It's impossible. The Christian life isn't just difficult. It's impossible. It's impossible to live a Christian life. In yourself, the only way you can ever begin to really start manifesting God in your life is to come to the end of yourself and say, God, I just can't do it. I need your power. I need to depend upon you. I've got to rely upon you. And there's a lot of Christians that haven't come to the end of themselves. They are still convinced that somehow or another they can make God do things because they are so holy. You may never put it in those words, but I can guarantee you that's what a lot of people think. I've had people come in my prayer lines up here by the hundreds, thousands, and I've had people say things to me like, why hasn't God healed me? I'm fasting, I'm praying, I'm studying the word, I'm going to church, I'm paying my tithes, I do this and this and this. You know what that person is doing? They're putting confidence in their flesh. They think God moves in their life proportional to what they deserve. That's wrong. If God gave you what you deserved, you'd go to hell. And some of you think, oh, you don't know me. I'm really holy. You might be holy compared to me or compared to somebody else, but who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and you do not deserve the goodness of God. And once you think that some, you've got to do something to please God, you're always going to live under a sense of condemnation, under a sense of failure. You're always going to be making New Year's resolutions. God, I promise you that I'm going to quit this and I'm going to start doing this. Man, there is so much freedom and liberty in just running up a white flag and saying, Father, thank you that you love me in spite of who I am and not because of who I am. And once you understand that, there is a joy, there is a happiness in coming to the end of yourself that many people haven't yet experienced because they're still under the deception that somehow or another you can overcome your flesh. 
You know, I had a man who was actually an employee of mine. It's a long story, but he thought his wife committed adultery on him, which wasn't true, but he, there were some circumstances. He misunderstood it. He had been a pastor of a church and he led lots of people to the Lord. He was an evangelist. But when this happened, he just flipped out. He used to do drugs back before he got saved. He was in uh, the gangs in New York City, friend of Nicky Cruz. And he used to do that stuff before he got born again. And when he thought his wife had committed adultery and that he had lost his marriage, he just went out and took a bunch of drugs and tried to kill himself, overdosed on drugs. And uh, anyway, they got him to the hospital and they saved his life, but they had to put him in the psychiatric ward for 24 hours if you attempt a suicide. And so while he was in the psychiatric ward, I went up to see him and I told him that I was there and uh, he had given instructions not to let me in. He didn't want to see me. But anyway, I got in anyway. And I got in and got to talking to him and the guy just started crying. He says, I can't believe I did this. He says, man, I've been born again. God's done these miraculous things. I've led lots of people to the Lord. I've seen people heal. I've done this and I've done this and done this. How could I have turned on the Lord like this? He actually threw his Bible out the car as he was driving and saying, God, I don't want anything to do with you and just went and tried to kill himself. He says, how could I have done this? And basically the way I ministered to him was just to say, look, It's your flesh. If you get into yourself, this is what you're capable of. The only reason you were ever able to rise above that isn't because you changed. It's because you humbled yourself and let God start living through you. It's like flying in an airplane. When a person flies in an airplane, they say, look, I'm flying at 550 miles an hour at 35,000 feet. Look at me. You aren't flying. It's that airplane that's flying. And it's your position in that airplane that allows you to fly. If you don't believe it, step outside and see how well you fly. (laughs) It's only us in Christ that makes us able to overcome things and to do things. Your flesh isn't getting better. You are still the same rotten person that you ever were in your natural self, if you were to turn off the power and quit responding to God, your flesh is as capable of anything that it was ever capable of. Even though I've never gone into sin and done some of the things that some of you've gone into, if I was to just get outside of the Lord and start operating out of my ability and doing things out of my own ability and power, I could do any sin that any person is capable of. Man, this sets you free when you understand that God loves you not because you have improved now and that now you're more lovable. You know what? There's still not a one of us that deserves anything from God. And there is so much peace and satisfaction in you just understanding that God, you love me because you are loved, not because I'm lovely. And you rest in that. And then when you blow it, and you will blow it, and you'll do something stupid, and you'll act carnal, and you'll lose your temper, or you'll do something that's not what should be. Then when that happens, you know what? You don't just get down in the valley and get depressed and discouraged. Oh God, how could you love me? Because you know, he never did love you because you were so wonderful. And it's just easy for you to say, Father, thank you for your grace. Your confidence isn't in yourself. You aren't shocked when you do something wrong. 
And it just allows you to have an equilibrium in your life that people who trust in the flesh and think that I'm holy and stuff, you will blow it. You are going to mess up and all of the condemnation is going to come upon you because you've been thinking that you had to be holy in order for God to love you. Your confidence is in yourself, in the flesh. And Paul is saying just the opposite of this. Paul had all of these great things to his credit. He lived holier than any of us and yet Paul did not put confidence in his flesh. And because of that, he wasn't up and down like a yo-yo. You know, I can tell you this. If you're one of these people that has extreme highs and you're just up here praising God and everything's wonderful and then you have extreme lows, you are a person that relates to God based on your flesh, on your performance. You may not understand what I'm saying. You may not relate to it, but I can guarantee you that that's true. If your faith was in Jesus and if the thing that lit your fire was Jesus and his love for you. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never fluctuates. And when you're good, he doesn't love you more. And when you're bad, he doesn't love you less. He loves you completely independent of your performance. It has nothing to do with who you are. It has everything to do with who he is. And if your faith was in him, and if you were relating to him based on what Jesus did and not what you do, then you would be consistent. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never fluctuates. If you are fluctuating, if you're up and then down, happy and then sad, it's because you're in the flesh. You have confidence in the flesh. You are living out of your own ability instead of putting faith in a Savior. Thank you for that thunder of silence. A lot of people don't care for that, but that's true. And so Paul is saying, we have no confidence in the flesh. This is one reason He was able to be happy and rejoice because whether he was good or whether he was bad, Jesus was the same. God's love was the same. He related to God, not based on what he was doing, but on what had been done for him. And because of that, there was a stability in his life. You know, I could minister on this for days, but I want to go on to some of these other things. But that is so important that you quit trusting in yourself and quit you know, believing that now, God, you've got to use me because I've done these things. You're setting yourself up for failure the moment you do that. The moment you take your faith off of the foundation of Jesus and what he's done and you put it in yourself, you're headed for a crash. And I don't care if yourself is doing better than myself. It doesn't matter if your flesh is USDA, choice flesh. It's still flesh. (laughs) It's not going to work. And so look at what he said in, in uh, verse eight. This is the ninth thing I've picked out of uh, Philippians. He said, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. The previous verses, Paul talked about his confidence wasn't in himself. So what was his confidence in? It was all in Christ. He had put all of his confidence, everything about him was centered in Jesus. And he said, I take all of these accomplishments, him being a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, all of the things he had done. He had studied under Gamaliel, the number one rabbi in the nation. He was at one time the most prominent Jew in the nation. And he said, all that stuff is but done. He counted it, but done. Did you know in the world's way of looking at it, it was great accomplishments. 
He had the equivalent of a doctor's degree, a master's degree, a PhD, whatever. He had all of these graduate degrees. He had all of these things behind him. And he says, I count it but dung so that I might win Christ. This is one reason this man had a happiness and could sing in the midst of prison because you know what? He wasn't taking pleasure in his own accomplishments. He wasn't looking at himself. His whole life was caught up in Jesus. And you know what? Jesus is the same all of the time. And so if, you're, if you are living only for Jesus, not for the acclaim of man and for all of your recognition and stuff like this, then you know what? It, you'll, you'll have a happiness and a peace and a satisfaction in your life because he's going to always be there for you. He will always be fellowshipping with you. He will always be loving you. But the sad fact is, brothers and sisters, most of us take tremendous amount of pleasure and we put confidence and lean on our own accomplishments. And you're setting yourself up for a failure. I don't care if you are accomplished. I don't care if you've got degrees behind your name and I don't care if you can do things and if you're great talented, you're setting yourself up for failure because there's going to come an end to your ability. You know, if nothing else, when I first started in ministry, I used to go into the nursing homes and minister all of the time. And I saw people that at one time were the movers and the shakers in that community. There was this one woman in particular that she was the Methodist pastor's wife. And even when she was in her 80s, she was still a nice looking lady and she always had her hair fixed and she always dressed nice in this nursing home. And yet that woman would sit there and just cry all day long. I tried to console her. I ministered to her and this woman just cried. And the thing that she would say over and over, she says, I used to be somebody important. People used to come to me. People used to respect me. And you know what? But now when she was in her 80s, she was in a nursing home and people didn't even come visit her. I don't care who you are and I don't care how much money you make and I don't care, you know, if people tremble when you walk into the room and if you've got all of these awards on your thing, you are going to come to a time to where you are no longer at the peak of your game. And if your confidence is in your flesh and in yourself, and if you're honoring that, you have just set yourself up for sadness and depression and grief and sorrow in your old age because you are not going to go out with the same strength and ability that you came in with. But if, you're, if you are counting everything compared to dung, compared to Christ, you know, Jesus is still going to be just as sweet to you, as strong and powerful in your life even if your body isn't as strong, if you aren't as sharp, everything will still be awesome. You'll be like the apostle Paul saying, I've run the race. I've finished my course and there's set up a crown for me. If your faith is in Jesus, you will still be hitting on all cylinders. I don't care how long you live because your strength will be in him and not in yourself. That's a kind of an extreme example, but every one of us usually crash and burn long before you're in your 80s or 90s. Most of us make mistakes and do things and, you know, your marriage comes to an impasse or all kinds of things happen. I tell you, you just got to get to a place to where you esteem everything you compare to dung compared to Jesus. You know, that's a biblical word for you could make it a lot more graphic. But you know what? You just 
Compared to Jesus, everything's manure. All of your accomplishments. You know what we do with our manure? We frame it and put it on the wall and show everybody. (laughs) And we're proud of all of our accomplishments. You know what? If you're a doctor like Dr. Bird down here, you got to have a degree or they won't let you practice medicine. So there's nothing wrong with that and getting these degrees and stuff. And you can use it to gain inroad to people, but in your heart, you need to get to a place to where it is not my accomplishments. It's not my degrees that make me who I am. It's my relationship with Jesus. And you have to count everything else relatively as done compared to knowing Jesus. And when you put that kind of an importance on Jesus and everything is about him, when you esteem him above everything else, you know what? You'll be able to be happy because whether you are succeeding or whether you're failing, whether things are going good or going bad, Jesus will still be the same. And if you truly have put that value on him, then you will be able to rejoice going through hard times. Amen. I believe God wants us to have fine things and have nice houses and stuff. But you know what? If you were going through a time, if you had to file bankruptcy, Jesus is still going to be the same. And if you put that much importance on Jesus, whether you're going through a hard time or not, you'd still be able to rejoice because Jesus is going to be the same to you. Jesus is going to walk with you through everything. He loves you regardless of what's going on. But if you've become to where you have to have these things in the natural is where you get your satisfaction and joy from and your sense of contentment and safety and all of these kind of things, then you know what? You're going to be a depressed person. If you aren't paying attention, we live in a fallen world and there's bad things happening. And if you don't have a problem right now, just hold on. You will have a problem soon. If everything's just fine for you, just breathe a little while. And I can guarantee you we, in a fallen world, somebody around you is going to get sick. Some, you're going to have some financial problem. Somebody's going to come out against you. There's going to be something happening that doesn't go your way. You will have problems. And if you are looking for your satisfaction and contentment in physical, natural things, you are going to be a hurt person. But if your joy is anchored in the Lord Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. And you can rejoice regardless of what's going on. If you got tears coming down your cheeks because of things that are going on, you can still rejoice that, Father, thank you that I know I'm going to come through this thing. Thank you that you're going to help me. If worse comes to worse, if I die, I'm going to go to be with you. If I never see my financial needs, men here, I'm going to live in a mansion in heaven on streets that are paved with gold. As long as you keep putting Jesus above everything else, you will be able to rejoice regardless of what your physical circumstances are like. I'm saying this in love, brothers and sisters, but I know it's going to, it'll rub some of you the wrong way, but it's true that if you're a person who's sad and defeated, it's because you have esteemed other things other than Jesus. It's because Jesus isn't the, the center of your life. I'm not saying that if you're a Christian and if you're truly focused on Jesus, you won't have any problems. But I'm saying that if you are truly focused on Jesus, you can rejoice regardless of what's going on in your life. And I could 
just unplug right here and never go any further in Philippians. And I could show you example after example after example from the Word of God where this happened to people. I could give you personal testimonies where it's happened. I'm telling you that you get your mind focused on Jesus and regardless of what's going on around you, you can rejoice. I'm not going to take time to give you a whole story, but when I was in Vietnam, there was a time that we were encircled and I was nearly killed. And man, I was just having the joy of the Lord flow through me. I was thinking, oh Jesus, today I can see you face to face. I could be dead by the time nights fall. And I was so excited and I was praying for the Vietnamese that I had my gun pointed at. Praying, saying, God, if I die, I know where I'm going, but what about them? And I just felt love and joy and peace flowing out of me when people were trying to kill me. We were totally surrounded and within a couple of hours, that hill was overrun and nearly every person on there was killed. And I've been through things like that and I was still operating in joy because my focus was on Jesus and not on things in the flesh. I know some of you think I'm weird, but I think you're weird. I'm telling you that this is what Paul is talking about. He didn't have any confidence in the flesh. He counted everything that he had ever trusted in the natural as dung compared to Jesus. And because of that, that man was able to praise God at midnight in prison with his feet and hands in the stocks facing possible execution. And he just broke out in song. You can do that. Jesus can become so real to you that he's more important than anything else. That is awesome. Here's the 10th thing is in the next verse. In verse nine, it says he, he counted everything but dung so that he could win Christ in verse nine and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. Boy, this is something that again, I could spend weeks teaching on this one thing, but there is a difference between self-righteousness and faith righteousness. As a whole, the body of Christ doesn't have a revelation of this. As a whole, the body of Christ, anytime the term righteousness is used in scripture, they just think that that means that you've got to be holy and that you have to earn God's favor and that you've got to do all of these things or God won't bless you. Man, like I said, I could teach on this for weeks. I've got a lot of my teaching out there. I've got a teaching entitled the true nature of God that would explain this much better than what I'll have time to do. But the law wasn't given to help you overcome sin. The law was given to make sin overcome you, to show you that you can't earn God's favor, that you can't be holy enough. Most people think that the law was given to help us to overcome sin. I can give you right now a dozen scriptures. First Corinthians 15, uh, 56, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through the end of the chapter, Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 5, Romans 7. And I could give you many verses that the law was given to kill, to strengthen sin, to make sin come alive, and to kill you, to shut you up. The reason God gave the law is because people were comparing themselves among themselves and thinking, I'm such a good person. 
You know, I'm not perfect. I know I've got things wrong, but at least I don't dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do. I'm holier than this person over there. And they were, this is a religious attitude that God is going to accept you based on how holy you are. And so God had to remove the deception. And he says, you think you're holy? You think that you, you, I des, you deserve me accepting you because of your actions? You don't realize how sinful you are. God never wanted us to know how sinful we were. But when we started promoting our own goodness and thinking that God owes it to me, that God must answer my prayer because I've fasted, I've prayed, I've done this. God had to show you how sinful you were so that you would quit trusting in yourself. And that's the reason he said, thou shalt not. And he started giving all of these commands. He gave much more than 10 commands. There are thousands of commands, thousands of commands. It's even commanded what kind of clothes you can wear. If you are wearing something tonight that's got part polyester and part cotton in it, you've broken the law. You couldn't wear any clothes that had more than one type of material. You could never mix wool and cotton together or something like that. There are laws about if you're left-handed, you're defiled. If you've got a mole on your body, you're defiled. If your nose is flat, you're defiled. If you don't have perfect posture, you're defiled. Why did God give all of these laws? Is it so you could go burn all of the moles off your body? So that you could wear some harness that make you stand up straighter so that you could meet the standard? No, he was just showing you that you think you're holy. You think that you have a right to relationship with me based on your goodness? I'll show you what perfection is. And he showed us what he made Adam and Eve to be. None of them had moles on their bodies. None of them had any physical deformities. None of them had any problems. They were perfect and we aren't perfect. And God gave the law, not so that you could keep it, but to show you how incapable of keeping it you were. So you'd quit trusting in self-righteousness, a righteousness that comes by the law. And instead you'd say, oh God, have mercy on me. And then when you do that and when you come to Jesus, he gives you his righteousness. There is a difference between self-righteousness and faith righteousness. I am righteous in my spirit. Uh, Ephesians 4.24 says, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. When you got born again, you were created righteous. You were created in right standing with God. It's a gift of righteousness. It's a gift. It's not something that you earn. Romans chapter five says that in five different verses, that it's a gift of righteousness. And see, Paul, this is what he's talking about. He, he had rejected all of his own ability, all of his own accomplishments so that he could have the righteousness, which is of faith, not this righteousness that comes by him doing everything. But he was resting in the fact that he was in right standing with God based on what Jesus did, not what he did. And I tell you, if you're talking about how to be happy and have joy, this is the only way that you will ever do it is when you quit trusting in your own goodness and you instead receive right standing with God as a gift. Because I can promise you that your conscience will condemn you sooner or later. With most people, it's sooner 
most of us live in a constant state of feeling like we're a failure. We aren't the person we're supposed to be. And because of that, they think that God is relating to us based on our performance. That's self-righteousness. That's a righteousness which is of the law. But man, there is so much freedom when you understand that I am now accepted by God and God loves me, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus did for me. I am now righteous in the sight of God because of Jesus. I was created righteous and nothing changes that. My actions don't change my righteousness. That's a major statement. And most people don't understand what I'm talking about. I've got a lot of teaching out there that would go into much more detail. This teaching on spirit, soul, and body, that would help you to understand that. It's got a part in there about eternal redemption. But in the spirit, you were created in righteousness and then you're vacuum packed, you're sealed. And if you sin as a Christian, sin enters into your body and it enters into your mind and it gives Satan an inroad against you physically and emotionally but it doesn't penetrate the seal around your spirit. Your spirit is as righteous and pure as Jesus is. You are in right standing with God based on what Jesus did. And that verse that I've already quoted, John 4, 24 says, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If you are going to truly relate to God, you've got to base it on what Jesus did. This righteousness that's in your spirit. You have to approach him in the spirit. When you come before God and you say, oh God, I messed up again. God, I failed again. God, I broke my promise to you again. And you come and you feel so unworthy. You are approaching God in your flesh, in your self-righteousness. You aren't approaching him in the spirit. In the spirit, once you're born again, I don't care what you do in the flesh, your spirit still retains its righteousness. It's right standing with God. I tell you what, unless the Holy Spirit's been teaching you, this is just completely opposite what religion is teaching today. Religion is teaching that you're right standing with God. Your righteousness fluctuates on every one of your performances and that's not true. In the spirit, you are still in union with God. Now you may have given Satan a huge inroad into your life and I'm not advocating sin. If you're out living in sin, you're just stupid. But God loves you, stupid is what I'm saying. And you're still righteous in your spirit. And that, I tell you, the only way that you can maintain a vibrant relationship with God is to understand faith righteousness. A right standing with God by faith not based upon performance because I can promise you, you will fail. You are going to mess up. And when you do, your, your joy and your peace will just go down the toilet because after all, oh God, I failed you again. But once you understand that God loves you completely independent of your performance and you are in right standing with God by faith in what Jesus did for you, it allows you to just... Even in, when you've messed up, it makes you love God even more. Because you think, God, I, if I was you, I wouldn't love me. And yet you still love me. God still uses me, even when I don't deserve it. And that gives you a peace and a satisfaction that allows you to maintain your joy. You've got to understand faith 
righteousness. And this is what Paul said, that he wanted a righteousness that was not of the law, but a righteousness which was by God through faith, a faith righteousness, a righteousness that comes as a gift, a right standing with God. Man, that's powerful. In the next verse, verse 10, here's the 11th thing that I'm taking from the book of Philippians. He says in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And you know, again, there's so much that I can say about this, but if you really want to have happiness and joy, it's all about relationship. It's about knowing him. And there are very, very few Christians that really have a vibrant relationship with God. Most people came to God because they were convicted of their sin They heard preaching that you're going to go to hell, repent or else, turn or burn. So you come to the Lord, you repent of your sins, you ask God to forgive you so you won't go to hell. That's what's taught. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 10, uh, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. If all you hear is believe on Jesus so you won't go to hell, then that's all you're going to have faith for. But the Bible actually says in John chapter 3, verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Did you know that 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 verse is nearly always stopped as far as practical application where it says that if you believe on him, you won't perish. That's what most people use John 3, 16 for. Believe on Jesus and you won't perish. You won't go to hell. But it says the reason he came was so that if you believed on him, you wouldn't perish, but instead you would have everlasting life. And people think, well, everlasting life is talking about that you go and you live forever. Did you know everybody's living forever? Hitler's living forever. His physical body's dead, but Hitler's not dead. He's still conscious. He's still alive. Everybody lives forever. And some people say, well, it's talking about living forever in heaven with blessings instead of living forever in hell with punishment. That's not what everlasting life is because it says in John chapter 3, right after verse 16, I think it's around verse 38, it says, if you believe on him, you have, present tense, everlasting life. John chapter 5 talks about that we now have everlasting life. Everlasting life isn't just going to heaven instead of going to hell. What is everlasting life? Look at this in John chapter 17. This is Jesus the night before he was crucified. And he's called the author of eternal life. And so here is part of his prayer. In John chapter 17 verse 2 it says, As thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Everlasting life or eternal life is not just living forever in blessings versus living forever in hell with punishment. Eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ. And some people are disappointed with that because they thought, I thought it was more than that. That's because you don't understand what knowing God means. This is like the Bible says, Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore a son. 
This isn't talking about just intellectual knowledge saying that you know about God. This is talking about intimate, personal relationship with God. This is what eternal life is, is having an intimate relationship with God. So plug this back into John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life, intimate relationship with God. This is what Christianity is all about. Christianity is not to get your sins forgiven so that you won't go to hell. Now, it's true that that happens, and that's a wonderful benefit. And if that's all there was to salvation, it'd still be worth preaching. Because that's a great benefit. But man, that is selling short. Jesus came and died for your sins. I can say it this way. That you know what? If all you've done is get your sins forgiven so that you won't go to hell... But if you aren't enjoying an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus, where you talk to him, he talks to you, you can feel his presence. He guides you. He's your best friend. If you aren't experiencing that, you're missing the whole point of salvation. If all you did was get your sins forgiven so that when you die, you'd go to heaven instead of going to hell, you're missing eternal life. And this is what he came to give you. If there was no heaven or hell, which there is, but if there was no heaven or hell, eternal life is something that functions now. This is what Christianity is all about. It's about relationship with God, not just about knowing about Him. Did you know Muslims believe that there's a God and they believe in the God of Abraham, but they don't have any relationship with Him. They go through religious formats. Every religion on the face of the earth goes through these things but they don't feel the presence and the love of God. God doesn't speak to them in their heart. He doesn't guide them. He's not their friend. There is no other religion on the face of the earth that has an intimate relationship with God, but this is what Jesus came to do. He so loved you that he wanted relationship with you right now. And if all you did was repent of your sins so that you wouldn't go to hell and yet you aren't enjoying an intimate relationship with God, you're missing out on the whole purpose of Christianity. And this is why so few Christians really have a lasting joy. They don't have this peace. They don't have this relationship with God and because of it, they're just miserable. God made us for fellowship. There's a part of you that can't be satisfied with houses and jewelry and automobiles and success. There's a God-shaped vacuum on the inside of you. You were created for a relationship with Him and people are trying to fill that with sex and money and power and fame and all of these other things. But I, I guarantee you there's something on the inside of you that can only be satisfied by feeling the pleasure of the Lord. You know, I know that many of you in here have experienced this, but there's some of you in here that haven't. But feeling God love you and say that He loves you and He's pleased with you and He's proud of you, not because you've done everything right, but just because you humbled yourself and accepted salvation. Feeling the pleasure of the Lord. That's the greatest thing on the face of the earth. I've seen people raised from the dead, blind eyes open. It doesn't compare. 
with feeling God's pleasure. There are some of you in here that have never felt God's pleasure. You think, but I don't do anything to be pleased. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and 6, it says without faith, it's impossible to please him. Faith is what pleases God. And if you've made Jesus your Lord and if you've accepted him, did you know God is pleased with you? But you have to let him love you. You have to let this flow. And this is what Paul is referring to. He's counted, he's forgotten every accomplishment he ever had. He counted it but done so that he could stand before God, not in self-righteousness, but in a righteousness which comes from God. And the end result of that is that he could know him and the power of his resurrection. This is what Christianity is all about, is about knowing God. Knowing God. You know, I've mentioned last night and this morning, I think both of them, but I mentioned about being over in Uganda. And in Uganda, we've had uh, 500,000 people go through our discipleship evangelism course. And the very first lesson in discipleship evangelism is about eternal life. The whole purpose of salvation. And we teach this in Uganda. They've had revival. You can't turn in any direction without bumping into a Christian. It's a red hot revival that has taken place in Africa. And I mean, you drive down the street and every taxi cab, Jesus is Lord, God Almighty. I mean, they have, it's just Christian everywhere. Christians have made a huge impact. The first lady of Uganda is a fanatical, outspoken Christian. They went from 80-something percent HIV down to less than 10%. And you know how they did it? They didn't do it through drugs or through giving condoms out and stuff. They have banners up everywhere about love your wife, be faithful. They started teaching morality and abstinence. And you know what? They have turned. It's awesome to see what has happened. But the people as a whole still don't understand the goodness and the grace of God. They're religious. And we go in and teach them that it's not about you doing all of these things for God. God loves you not for what you can do. He just loves you. And we see this change people's lives. I mean, it just kills religion if you understand that it's not about what you do. God just loves you. He wants you. I was raised in a denomination that it was all about do a work for God. Do something for God. You got to do something. And there's a truth there that we should be doing things. But that should come as a byproduct of relationship with God. Not the thing that you do that makes God love you. And I misunderstood it. Most people misunderstood it. We used to say in the Baptist church that this poem about Mary had a little lamb. It would have been a sheep, but it joined the Baptist church and died from lack of sleep. (laughs) I mean, man, you got to do a work for God. You got to do something for God. Do something. We became human doings instead of human beings. But you know what changed my life is March the 23rd, 1968 in Arlington, Texas in a Baptist pastor study at midnight. God showed up and he removed this self-righteousness from me, showed me that all of my righteousness was like filthy rags. I humbled myself 
and repented of it and God poured His love into my life and I began to experience eternal life. Intimate relationship with God. And did you know I started living holier after that than I ever did under the law? It was relationship with God. It was knowing Him that turned my life around. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, there's some of you here that are born again. If you were to die right now, you'd go to heaven. But you do not enjoy a vibrant relationship with God because you don't understand a faith righteousness. You're trying to earn God's favor. You're standing in your own performance instead of standing in what Jesus has done. And if you haven't experienced this love of God, then there's nothing really to be happy about. But once you understand how much God loves you, man, it doesn't matter what else is going on. It doesn't matter if the world falls around you. You know, in the book of Psalms, it says, I will not fear though the mountains be removed and cast into the sea. I won't fear. Think about that. What if every mountain on this planet was all of a sudden leveled and cast into the sea and the seas rose and all of the devastation? If you were standing on the word of God, it wouldn't bother you. There's some of you that can't even handle it that President Obama was reelected. Much less the mountains being cast into the sea. You know what? If you really have a relationship with God, he's going to be the same the day after the election as he was before the election. And regardless of what goes on in this life, you can rejoice in God. I'm telling you, if you really want, you need to learn some secrets from the apostle Paul. And that was that man, he had counted everything as nothing, as dung, as manure, so that he could know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Man, that's a great message in that. I just hadn't got time to talk about that. Let me go on down. Last thing, I'll quit with this. Let's just keep reading here in verse 11. It says, If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead... Not as though I had already attained, neither were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend that which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forth unto those things which are before. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus." Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. And in verse 13 right here, he says, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. If you are really going to operate in joy and have happiness the way that the apostle Paul did so that you can praise God, even in a dungeon at midnight facing execution, you're going to have to get to a place to where you only do one thing. You make knowing God and loving God everything in your life. If Jesus is just an add-on to your life, if he's just the icing on the cake, if he's just an addendum, if he is just a little bit extra and just adds a little spice to your life, but if he's not the focus of your life, then I can guarantee you, you're going to crumble under the pressures of this world. But if you would make Jesus first and foremost and just do one thing, it's all about knowing him and making him known. 
if that was your only heart's desire, then I guarantee you he'll never disappoint you. He will satisfy you. You will have a happiness and peace and joy regardless of what goes on around you. Many Christians are trying to use their faith to eliminate all sickness, all disease, all problems that nobody will ever criticize you. Nobody will ever come across your path. You're binding and loosening and speaking and doing this, trying to change everything out there. And you know what? You do not have authority over all of that stuff. Your authority ends at the end of your nose. You can't bind people from coming across your path. God wants some of these ungodly people to come across your path so that you can influence them. You can't keep all problems away, but you know what you can do? You can be so focused on God that regardless of what comes against you, you're able to overcome because, man, you just are focused on Him. He's all that you're looking at. You know, Peter, when he walked on the water, there were wind and waves. There was a storm going on, but the storms didn't keep him from walking on the water. When he took his attention off of Jesus and started looking at the wind and the waves is when he began to sink. And it's the same with us. When you start trying to change this and change this and do all of these things, that's when you begin to sink. But when you just keep your focus on Jesus, when you're doing one thing and who cares did you know that the wind and the waves didn't have a thing to do with Peter walking on the water? He couldn't have walked on the water if it had been a perfectly calm day. But what it did, it drew his attention away from Jesus. He quit looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher of his faith, and he began to sink. I'm telling you, you got to stay focused on Jesus. You got to do this one thing. The secret to the Christian life is one thing, and that's making Jesus Lord of all, making him first in your life wanting to know him and the power of his resurrection more than you want to know anything else. More than you want to know who won the game. More than you want to know anything else. You have to put knowing God above anything else. And I know that there's some people don't like this because you say, man, I do not want to be that committed. I'm enjoying my carnal life. I'm enjoying all of this stuff. Well, just keep enjoying it. And you know what? You can still go to heaven and you'll get there quicker. Because when cancer comes knocking on your door, you aren't going to be focused on the Lord. You'll sink. You won't be able to walk in these things. I'm telling you, God loves you and you don't have to be sold out to him to have God love you. But you have to be sold out to God in order to enjoy all of the benefits of that. All of the stuff that's in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it is not of God and it wars against the soul. And the American lifestyle is not conducive to joy and happiness, contrary to what people think. All of this stuff that we're focused on, it's hurting you. Watching adultery and murder and lying and stealing for entertainment is not making you happy. Watching sexual stuff and being exposed to all of this ungodliness is not helping you rejoice. It's a hindrance to you. And I'm telling you that by doing one thing, focusing on the Lord and putting Him first, that is how you have joy in your life. Amen? You know, I've, I've missed out on a lot of stuff. 
I don't know very much about what's going on in this world because I spend so much time praying, seeking the Lord, spend my time doing things about the Lord. I'm a misfit in most things. When Jamie's parents were alive, uh, Glenna and David are here, uh, her sister and brother-in-law, and we used to play Trivial Pursuit. And it'd be the girls against the guys. And we'd be playing these games. And I'd just sit there because I don't know, I don't know sports. I don't know movies. I don't know songs. I don't, I'd just sit there. And we'd be playing Trivial Pursuit. And I'd say, yeah, it sounds good to me. And I don't know any of that stuff. And one time I was, we were playing over at the, in-law's house. And I just determined I'm going to get this next question. I said, I'm going to contribute something. And I said, I started praying and believing for God to give me a word of knowledge. (laughs) And so the next question that came up is what magazine debuted April the 1st, 1953. And nobody had a clue. And I knew (laughs) the Holy Ghost told me. It was Playboy. (laughs) So the only question that I got all night long, the only thing I knew was what year Playboy debuted. And they said, sure, all you've been doing is reading the Bible. We can tell. (laughs) But honest, it was a word of knowledge. I've just missed out on 44 years worth of American culture. (laughs) But you know what? I don't miss it. And because I was focused on God when my son died, we were able to see him raised from the dead. I have been able to see things happen. You're going to miss a lot if you just totally do one thing. You'll miss a lot of sickness and disease and depression and bitterness and hurt and pain. It'll cost you a lot. Amen. But I'd recommend that you miss out on those things. If you really want joy, just do one thing. Seek God, put him first, press towards the mark, put your total attention on God. And I guarantee you, you will be filled with the joy and the peace of God. Isn't that awesome? Man, these are insights into Paul that made him work. And it's contrary to the way that most of us are. I admit that. But that's the reason most of us can't compare with the same joy and the same power of the resurrection flowing in our life because we live differently than this. If you want the power of God and these things working, just do what Paul is talking about. Adopt his mindset. And if you'll do that, I can guarantee you, you can operate in supernatural joy and peace regardless of what's going on around you. Amen. Father, I love you and I thank you for these truths. And I share these things with my brothers and sisters. I ask the Holy Spirit to bear witness in people's hearts of these truths. And Father, make an application to our life, to the very things that we do that allow the cares of this life and the lust of other things to choke the Word of God out of us. Father, I pray that we would learn through this not to put any confidence in ourselves and our own accomplishments, that we would count everything else but dumb so that we might know Christ. Be found in faith righteousness instead of self-righteousness. That we would just put you first. Do one thing. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would draw these things to our remembrance and help us to walk in this. And Father, I thank you in advance 
for the difference that this will make in people's lives. Thank you, Jesus. We agree and receive it. Amen. Praise God. You know, again tonight, I want to give you an opportunity. If you don't know Jesus personally, you've got to be born again. You have to have. It all begins by being born again. That's not the end of it. You need eternal life. You need a relationship with God. But it begins by receiving the forgiveness of your sins. Your sins were a barrier that stood between you and eternal life, intimate relationship with God. And so Jesus did die for your sins and take them away. And if you've not received that, you must receive this forgiveness of sins before you can have this intimacy with God. So if you've not done that, we want to give you an opportunity tonight to make Jesus your Lord. And also, once you get born again, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. March the 23rd, 1968, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And like it says in Romans chapter 5, I think it's around verse 6, it says that the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. When I received the Holy Spirit, the love of God just overwhelmed me. You need the Holy Spirit to reveal God's love to you. It doesn't come from the outside. It doesn't come through your mind. It comes from the inside. You experience God's love supernaturally. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is one of the most important things for that. And speaking in tongues is a part of that. It's not all that there is to it, but in the Bible, when people receive the Holy Spirit, they spoke with tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I know that there's people here probably surprised that I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit because I'm not your typical Pentecostal. I don't stand there and sweat and wipe my fevered brow with a towel and say, glory to God. And I'm not real demonstrative. And some of you probably came to this meeting not realizing what you were getting into. But I am baptized in the Holy Spirit and I do speak in tongues. And I tell you, it's of God. You need it. You need it. How many of you in here already have received the baptism and speak in tongues? See, whether you know it or not, you're in one of those tongue talker meetings. They're going to talk about you in your Baptist or Methodist church because you went to one of these, so you might as well get something for it. They're going to talk about you anyway. Amen. So if you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you don't speak in tongues, I'd like to give you an opportunity to receive. So if you would like to make Jesus your personal Savior and be born again and or you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, I'd like to have you raise your hand and I'd like to pray with you and help you to receive. Anybody in here? Here's people here in the back. Anybody else? Here's some down here. Praise God, we got people all over. We've already had how many now? 52 people have come and received the baptism and... And uh, we've had a number of those born again. But if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward? We want to minister to you right here and help you to receive. If that's you, just come forward right now. We want to pray with you and help you to receive. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God bless you. Praise God. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Amen. Are you all born again? Do you know for sure that you're born again? 
Does everybody down here know that for sure? If you were to die right now, do you know for sure that you'd go to be with Jesus? Do you know that? Well, I'll have to talk to you later. But the reason I'm asking this is because before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you first of all have to be born again. You have to have Jesus living in you. The Bible says He's the one that gives the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. So if you haven't yet made Jesus your personal Savior, you may believe in God. You may believe that He's real, but that doesn't mean that you're born again. You have to receive Him into your life and receive this eternal life. If you haven't done that, if you haven't done that, I need to pray with you first before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody that wants to pray with me first and make sure you're born again? Here's one right here. Anybody else? Are all of you sure? I'm not trying to talk you out of it, but there are just so many people today that are hoping. They think, well, I hope I'm saved. If you're saved, you know you're saved. You know that you've passed from death unto life. If you don't have that assurance, you need to pray and make sure. Anybody else? Okay, so I'm going to lead this man in a prayer. The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. He's already paid for your sins. It's not a matter of will he forgive you. It's just a matter of will you receive it. Are you ready to do that? Amen. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'd like you to pray after me. And I'd like to ask everybody in here to pray this prayer with me so that he won't feel like we're just listening to him. Okay. Let's everybody say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You believe that? Welcome, brother. God bless you. I believe this man just got changed on the inside. And you know, the Bible says that when you get born again, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is really important because this means God created you to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. So this is not something that you have to plead with God and beg Him to give you the Holy Spirit. You were made for the Holy Spirit to live in. He wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit more than you want to be filled. So we don't have to beg. We aren't going to plead. We're just going to open up the doors of this temple, real simple, and welcome the Holy Spirit. You have to welcome Him in. He will not force Himself upon you. So that's all we're going to do is just open up and say, Father, we're ready. We want to receive the Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to ask our prayer ministers to come up here. And these are people who are already filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're going to stand behind you. And after I lead you in prayer, they're going to lay hands on you because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. You can actually release the Holy Spirit into people by laying hands on them. So I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. We're going to open up our heart and welcome the Holy Spirit. And then these people are going to lay hands on you and release this power into your life. And after they do that, I want you to take a step of faith and just thank God 
then He gave you the Holy Spirit. I don't care how you feel. The Scripture says, Luke eleven thirteen. if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's a promise. And so we're going to ask, and after they lay hands on you, I want you to just start thanking God that His Word is true and that He gave you the Holy Spirit. And at that time, after they lay hands on you and we start thanking God, I want you to put your hands in the air because the Bible says that when you lift up your hands in the sanctuary, you bless the Lord. This blesses God. It's just like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. I yield, amen. And so after we lead you in prayer, after they lay hands on you and you start thanking God, I want you to lift your hands and just start worshiping Him. And then those of us that have the baptism of the Holy Spirit are going to start praying in tongues. Because when you pray in tongues, the Bible says you're giving thanks. So we're going to start thanking God in our language. And as we start praying in tongues, I want you to quit thanking Him in English and start thanking Him in tongues and speaking in tongues. And I know some of you think, I don't know how to speak in tongues. What do I do? I've got a book that I'm going to give you and it'll answer this. But real quickly, you can't just wait on the Holy Spirit to make you talk in tongues. He doesn't do that. It's like when I preach tonight. If I would have said, oh God, speak through me. Don't let me speak, but you speak through me. And if I had just closed my eyes and opened my mouth and waited on God to make me talk, we'd still be sitting here. Nothing would have happened. He did not make me talk. I spoke, but I believe he inspired it. It's the same thing speaking in tongues. You have to speak. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. He inspires you, motivates you to do it. You have to speak and by faith believe that the Holy Spirit's inspiring it. And at first, when it's brand new to you, this is just like, this is crazy. And you'll have to deal with some of your thoughts and emotions. But I promise you, as you operate in it, you'll find out it just flows out of you. You can wake up speaking in tongues and not even be aware of what you're doing. It is the Holy Spirit inspiring it, but you have a part to play. You have to speak. Everybody understand that? So this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray for you. They're going to lay hands on you. You're going to lift your hands and start thanking God. We're going to pray in tongues. And then I want you to join in and pray in tongues with us. Amen. Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you, Father, that all of us now have professed that we are born again, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we just right now open up the doors of our temple, the doors of our hearts. And Holy Spirit, we want you. We want your power. We want you to come and shed the love of God abroad in our heart. We want to know you more. We want your power. So we open up our hearts and we welcome you to come into our lives right now. Fill us with the power of God. We lay hands on you now in the name of Jesus and say, receive the Holy Spirit. We loose this power and anointing. Holy Spirit, we loose your power to flow through every one of these. In the name of Jesus, we just loose this power to flow into these lives right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Man, here's the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's put your hands up and start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit, just like he promised that he would. Thank you, Father, that we are now God-possessed, that we are now filled with your Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's just begin to worship the Lord. 
and speak in tongues. And as we speak in tongues, speak with us. Talk out loud. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. So open your mouth and begin to speak. You can't talk in tongues in English at the same time. Quit speaking in English and speak in tongues. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying, but your tongue will be different. It'll be unique to you. It won't be the same as anybody else's. You won't be able to say the same thing, but once you start and it comes out different, just keep talking. Just keep talking. Thank you, Jesus. Man, that's the power and the anointing of God. Don't worry about what it sounds like. Brother, don't shake your head no. Shake it yes, yes, yes. You've got the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you for filling this man with the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your power and anointing. Thank you, Jesus. You know, you don't know what you're saying, but you're bypassing your brain. You're bypassing your doubt and your unbelief. You're talking directly to God out of your spirit. It's powerful. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. You know, whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe God gave you the Holy Spirit because He promised that He would. If you ask, He gave. When I first prayed and asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't speak in tongues right away because I was a Baptist. And I'd been taught that this was of the devil. And I was so afraid that I was going to do something in myself, in my flesh that I just didn't speak in tongues immediately. But you know what? I kept after it. I finally got my questions answered. I've written all of this down in a book. And I promise you, nobody ever had more trouble speaking in tongues than I did. (laughs) But now I pray in tongues all of the time. I've prayed in tongues a lot today. And I can promise you that whether you spoke in tongues or not, God gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit. You just need to understand some things and learn how to receive. And I've written this in a book, and I'd like to give every one of you a copy of it. You know, this is more important than what any of you know. I don't care what you felt or didn't feel. This is the most important thing that's happened to you since you've been born again. I can promise you that. But you've got to understand it to get the full benefit. So I want to give you this book. It's a free gift. This is Robert standing right here in the aisle with his Bible up. And he's got books that he'd like to give every one of you. And if you would, just follow him for just a few moments. And we want to give you a book. There's people that will pray with you, answer your questions. We want to help you get the maximum benefit out of this. Amen. So just follow Robert. We want you to receive. Hallelujah. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. These are our prayer ministers here. These are people, many of them are Bible college students, but all of them have been through a training.
with Ashley and Carly where they are taught not to just ask or beg God for something, but to take our authority as a believer and speak to the problem. And we've been seeing some great miracles. I've got a whole list of miracles that have already taken place as they've laid hands on people and prayed with them. And so I want to offer them to you that if you need prayer, this is the way we want to minister to you. Instead of me being the one that lays hands on you, I don't have a special gift of healing or anything. I just pray a prayer of faith as any believer, and all of these are able to do that. So if you need prayer, I want to give you an invitation right now to just come forward and let one of our prayer ministers lay hands on you and agree with you. They can give you more time than what I've got to give you. We can minister to you and we can see your needs met. So if you need a healing of anything, just come forward right now and let one of our prayer ministers pray with you. We believe in miracles. We believe in seeing God change people's lives. If you are struggling in some area in your life, come forward right now and let someone pray with you. And we believe that God is going to perform a miracle in your life. Praise God. The rest of you, I'm going to be here and we're going to pray. Last night I called out some healings. We saw some people healed as I was operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But if you need to leave, you're free to go. Also, let me remind you, we've got those CDs and DVDs of the three services already duplicated out there. You're welcome to get those. And then tomorrow we have services at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. tomorrow night. We start at 6 instead of 7 because that gives my crew an extra hour of sleep. Instead of getting to bed at 2 o'clock, they'll get to bed at 1 o'clock. Amen. So we're going to start at 6 o'clock tomorrow night. I encourage you to come and check out all of those materials out there. If you're a minister, we'd love for you to be a part of this new ministerial association that we've got. And Barry Burns will be out here if you'd like to go get the information about that. Praise God. Thanks for coming. God bless you. We just thank you that by the stripes of Jesus, we've already been healed, that Jesus has already done it, that all of these sicknesses and diseases are illegal. They do not have a right in our body. So we resist it right now. The Bible says if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. So we resist sickness and disease. We do what your word says, Father. We lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We are believers and we say that as we lay hands on people that the anointing of God is flowing through us and that people are being healed right now. Tumors are leaving people right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I feel that not only down here as they're praying, but there's some of you out there that you have tumors in your body. And for whatever reason, you aren't down here getting prayer. Maybe you've already come and you've already released your faith, but God is healing people of tumors right now. If that's you, if, if you have a need for that, I want you to stand and raise your hand so that I can distinguish you from other people. If you've got a tumor, I want you to stand and raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying for. God, your tumors are going to leave you right now. Amen. 
Amen. Is this Beth? Did I pray for you yesterday? And what did you have, a brain tumor? Anyway, I can't hear you, but I believe you're being healed. Anybody else here with tumors? Father, in the name of Jesus, I just release your anointing right now. And we command tumors to be gone. Fibroid tumors to leave now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Brain tumors, any type of tumors, we curse you in the name of Jesus and command you to stop. Command you to leave these bodies right now in Jesus' name. Father, I loose your anointing and believe that right now this power is flowing through them. We curse the tumors, command them to die. We speak life over them that whatever was damaged by these tumors, if, it, if their brain was damaged, any part of their body was damaged, I believe that the anointing of God is restoring them right now. Bodies you receive, receive this and be healed right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive your miraculous healing power right now in Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. I believe many of you are going to see those tumors just leave nearly immediately. Amen. 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 Awesome. Has your tumor already left? Is that what you were up here? You up here for prayer? Amen. Her tumor's already gone. She believed. It worked. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Somebody here is having problems breathing. You know, there could be multiple reasons for that. I don't know what it is, but if you've had problems with your breathing, here's the healing power of God flowing in here right now. If you've had problems with your breathing, I want you to stand, raise your hand so I can see who it is I'm praying for. And here's the healing power of God coming to you right now. Anybody else? Here's some over here. Praise the Lord. Father, I just release your anointing right now and whatever's causing this breathing problem. In the name of Jesus, bodies you receive, lungs you be healed. Somebody's got an infection that's in your lungs. Here's the healing power of the Lord right now. I curse that infection. I command all of that stuff that to die. Those germs, bacteria, whatever it is, die now in the name of Jesus. And Father, I loose your anointing to cleanse them of all of that stuff, to get it out of their lungs. Father, I thank you that they are able to breathe normally. Scar tissue in their lungs. I thank you that you are healing this. I release your anointing and believe that your healing power is healing them right now. Scar tissue is healed. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and just thank you that they're able to breathe without any problems. Breathe normally the way that you made them to be. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I want you to start taking deep breaths right now. Begin to breathe. Here's the healing power of God flowing in you. Breathe in that healing virtue anointing of Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive it right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Praise God. Awesome, awesome. Hallelujah. Praise God. And I believe people are being healed supernaturally right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, whatever it is that you need from the Lord, I believe God's already supplied it. Man, all it is is just a matter of receiving. You don't have to beg God to get it. All you got to do is learn how to receive. Learn how to rest in what He's done. No confidence in the flesh. Faith righteousness. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, it looks like everybody's getting prayer. I'm going to let you go. Remember, we'll be back tomorrow at 10 and at 6 tomorrow night. And don't forget to get the CDs or DVDs from the meeting. Thanks for coming. And if you'll receive the Word of God, I believe you're going to be one happy, blessed group of people. Amen. So thank you. God bless you. You're dismissed.